Welcome to Cannabis Health Radio, a podcast where we share stories from people around the world who are using cannabis as medicine. The information is meant to raise awareness about the health benefits of cannabis, but should not be taken as medical advice. Now, here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Thank you for joining us and welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Allen. As many of you know, cancer is one of the leading causes of death worldwide. The International Agency for Research on Cancer stated that there were more than 18 million new cases in 2018. And by 2040, they expect the number of new cases to be 29 million each year and the death toll will also increase. Our guest today has had cancer not once, not twice, but three times. And the first time it was liver cancer, the second breast cancer, and the third thyroid cancer. But she's here today because she says cannabis saved her life. And joining us from California is Chula Bennett. Chula, if if you were in front of me, I'd give you a big hug for what you've been through. Oh, thank you, Ian. I would accept it, too. I appreciate you and Corey doing this. You know, one of the issues that I did not mention in the introduction is that you lost a kidney at the age of 12. Tell us about that. I was born with a necrotic kidney um, that they believe was caused by gestational kidney disease um, that was actually caused by a drug that they used back in the 50s called DES. And it was a morning sickness sickness drug that my mother took. So they believe that the kidney disease originated from that. And what was it like for you as a kid? Um, well, a, a lot of uh, uh, bladder problems and things like that. Um, that one kidney was pretty much dead. And I kept it in my body for a long time. And it really should have come out a lot earlier than it did. Um, but... Like I was 12, I don't really remember a whole lot about it. I know I spent a long time at Stanford, um, like almost 60 days, I think, um, removing it and then getting the other one to work. And then I've had kidney stones most of my life, and I've never passed one, thankfully. But I have had to have surgery to have them removed. So um, I've had a lot of kidney problems throughout my life. I use a lot of diet control to keep it in check. Now, from that point, you were diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and you were put on drugs. What was that like? It was horrible. Um, I was working for the state of California at the time, and they put me on drugs that kept me in such a stupor that I couldn't effectively do my job and be around inmates or be on a yard in a level four prison. So I was forced to work in like the mail room and sit at a desk and be a zombie and and go through inmate mail. And I just, I couldn't do it. I wasn't doing what I was hired to do, which was my passion. And um, I decided that I, I just couldn't take all those drugs. So I started using cannabis at a very young age. And I just felt that it helped me deal with everything in my life. How old were you at the time? I started using cannabis when I was 12. 12. Yep. Now, your first bout of cancer in 2001, when were you diagnosed with hep C and liver cancer? 
on April the 13th, Friday, April the 13th of 2001. And um, my care was, um, I was given the opportunity to participate in a test study through New York Presbyterian Hospital. And that was through the Northern California Kidney Foundation in Eureka, California. And they got me hooked up. And in, oh, August of that summer, the end of that summer, I actually started the interferon and ribavirin treatment. I did that for a year. That interferon is supposed to be pretty horrible stuff. Was that your experience? Uh, well, I was. I weighed almost 300 pounds when I was diagnosed. And a year later, I weighed 150 pounds and I was completely bald. And, um, yeah, it, it, I, I believe that my next two cancers were caused by that treatment. You, you cut out a bit there, but I think what you said is you're, you believe that your next two cancers were a result of the treatment that you had? Yes, as a result of the interferon. Wow. And so, so. did when you had uh, hep C and liver cancer in 2001... Mm-hmm. Did mm-hmm. you eradicate it through conventional treatment or with the use of cannabis, or do you have any idea? Well, I used cannabis the entire time I was fighting it. I believe that's the only thing that made me able to eat a Pop-Tart a day. Um, I, I didn't have any desire to eat anything, um, but I would smoke cannabis throughout the day and use oil. I've used um, full extract cannabis oil since... 1998 Mm -hmm. and um i still to this day i take about a quarter gram a day just just for maintenance with your first bout of cancer did you were you using cannabis throughout that as well yes yes i did yes i did in in what form tula i use flour and oil okay did the medical profession know what you were taking my my personal doctor knew what I was taking. Um, keep in mind, at the time, I was working in a position that I would have immediately been terminated had I ever been drug tested and, and that I would have been positive for cannabis. So um, I was really lucky in 30 years of service that I never, ever had that, that problem. I never got tested, and I uh, imbibed in cannabis every single day of my career. Now, when your treatment uh, concluded for your liver cancer in 2001 uh-huh. or, or a year later, Two. 2000, September of 2002, September of 2002, were you given the all clear at the time? No, that took seven years. Um, they told me that I had no viral load. Um, they did test me and said I had no viral load. But they wouldn't give me an all clear for seven years. I had to keep being tested. I don't understand that. Um, I don't think, I think because it was a test study that oh. they weren't certain what was going to happen. I got you. you what were, side you, effects were going to be. Yeah, you were in this study. I, right. I got you. Okay. And they, they don't use those two drugs now for hepatitis. They have new drugs that they use. I like to think that I helped come up with the new drugs. <laughs> <laughs> wow. How, how much oil w- would you say you were taking when you were doing the uh, interferon? A half a gram a day. 
half a gram a day. Was that divided yeah. up in dosing or did you do no, it all at once? I did it every night. Mm. Every night. And I would get a good um, four to six hours sleep and then I'd be up and I'd be um, va vaporizing cannabis and I would try to eat and not be able to eat and it would take a whole day of vaporizing and of course, I had to be drinking water, but vaporizing before about 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I would feel like eating something. And I usually made it through one Pop-Tart. I did that for almost a year. Almost a year. That's how you lost half your body weight. I did. I did exactly. You must have felt uh, enormously better. Oh, at, I did. Both as a result I of... Go right ahead. after that treatment with all the weight loss and I felt amazing. I was so excited that I had survived it and that um, I could get on with my life. It, I had to retire because of it. Um, it. I ended up not being able to finish my career. I had to retire early. But I was so excited that I was alive and I could keep going and and start a whole new life after after that. Were there any apparent side effects from the interferon other than the fact that you think it caused these other cancers? Did, did Was there any... Um... Oh, yeah. Lots of nausea. A um, lot of confusion. Brain fog is what they called it. A lot of brain fog. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, just a general overall sense of not being well. How long did that last for? I didn't really start feeling better and improving from the treatment until like June of 2002, which would have been three months before I was done. And I kind of wanted to give it up at that point because my body was suffering at that point. I had lots of excess skin. I didn't have any hair. Um, my skin got very crepey and drapey. And uh, I just... Um, I, I, I just wanted to stop. And then they had that talk with me, you know, you committed and blah, blah, blah. And, and so I did it. And I finished out those last three months, July, August, and I took my last dose in September. And that was weekly injections. And then the vi ribavirin was every day pills three times a day. Wow. Yeah. The interferon was an injection once a week that would knock me out for two whole days after the injection. And then I'd have three good days of pretty good. And then the anxiety would set in for the next injection. And so I, I lost a good three days a week from the interferon. Now you, you deal with your hepsi and your liver cancer and mm -hmm. uh, your, your health improves. You've lost yes. half your body weight and then smack dab in 2006, five years later, you get diagnosed with breast cancer. Yeah, I discover a, a lump in my breast. Um, and I, at first I thought I was just imagining it because I'm, I'm very large. I wear a 44G, and so I've always been very careful. And um, like I had a hysterectomy in 1994, and I didn't take any... Um, pain medication, no hormone treatments, nothing. And um, that was not the way to go, but they didn't want to give me estrogen because of my breast size. 
So when I found that lump, I knew that, okay, I haven't been on estrogen. Um, there's no, you know, what, what could cause this? And so I went to the doctor, of course, that day immediately, and they biopsied it. And it was a microburst, what they called a microburst. And they recommended um, breast removal. And this this thing was, I, I'm not a doctor, and I, it's been a while, but I believe it was less than four centimeters, this lump. Mm-hmm. And so... I told them that I would rather have a lumpectomy and um, fight it with cannabis. And the doctor thought I was absolutely insane. And I did exactly that. He did a lumpectomy and I was down for five or six days. And then I was up and going back to work. And I used cannabis oil on my incision, which is now totally invisible. I really have to search to find it and it was a nice three inch incision in my breast Mm -hmm. and then i started doing the cannabis oil the minute i found out about the cancer i started doing cannabis oil worked myself up to a gram like Corey advised me to do worked up myself up to a gram and i did that for six months after the lumpectomy and in was this uh, just to interrupt and I apologize, but uh, we always get asked this question. So was this hormone driven and were you doing high THC? I, I don't recall. It was not hormone driven and yes, high THC. High THC. Okay. Thank yes. you. And, um, and, and another thing that I noticed they're doing a lot more now that wasn't done so much back in, in 2006 when I was making oil, but I used multi strains of cannabis mm-hmm. and a lot of people just will pick one strain. I try to pick three or four strains that are going to attack. Yeah. That's, that's the on. way we go all the time. Now, if we possibly can multi strain yeah. and I'll bet yeah. I, I'm, you know, inclined to say that that is probably part of the reason that it worked as well as it did for you. Right. Right. So I make sure every year when I can grow that, I grow six different strains. I usually do four indicas and two sativas. And um, I, I shoot for, um, you know, calming, anxiety calming, number one, keeping me straight and direct and centered. And then um, the sativa, I'd only do just occasionally, like if I'm, with friends and we're out and about or something, I'll do some sativa, but I don't sit at home and do it because it does give me anxiety. Indica is my preferred, preferred uh, cannabis. Now okay. you, you had the breast cancer, you had a lumpectomy and mm-hmm. um, how did you keep your spirits up with all these health problems you've had to endure over your course of your life? Oh, and I'll be honest with you, it was a lot of therapy. And um, I've, I've never met a therapist yet that agrees with the use of cannabis. So I mostly kept it a secret until I felt as though I could trust that person. Um, but, but uh, you know, all mental health people and most medical doctors are against cannabis altogether. They just, they don't even want to hear about it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we uh, nearly every most people we interview 
who tell their doctor, their doctor, you could you can visualize the doctor getting angry or putting his or her hands over their ears and just saying, "Don't don't talk to me about this." Right. And they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. And it yeah. reminds me of the fellow who, uh, over 250 years ago, I believe it was, or maybe 150 years ago, uh, Semmelweis, Viennese doctor who said that doctors should wash their hands before they operate. And uh, <laughs> he, he was ridiculed for, for decades. <laughs> he was ridiculed for decades because of this. So science and the medical profession in particular, has um, it takes a long time for a breakthrough. And wow. uh, so you had these, you had liver cancer, you had breast cancer. And uh, in 2015, you got thyroid cancer. But before we get to the thyroid cancer, what was your life like during that period where you appeared to be cancer-free? It's great. Wonderful. Um, I took on a second career, went to work for a major grocery chain, and was managing a bakery, and and things were great. Things were great. And then I went to work um, for another company for a few years selling restaurant and bakery equipment and um i felt great i was lightweight down in 150 and i could walk to go get my lunch and i could do anything i wanted i was great i i felt perfect after that and then in 2011 everything kind of changed and um tell us about that well i actually i passed out in my yard, I wasn't doing anything strenuous. I was walking from one part of my yard to a pool area and just got lightheaded and dizzy and went down. And so that prompted me to tell my doctor and she ended up sending me to a specialist um, who did an ultrasound on my carotid arteries. And luckily he said, you don't need me because your carotid arteries are clear but he says, you do have a lump in your thyroid. Mm. And so then they sent me to, and this was the biggest mistake. I'm in a rural community. They sent me to an ear, nose, and throat doctor instead of an endocrinologist. Mm. And that that's who did my surgery. And that's why it was done in two surgeries versus one surgery. And an endocrinologist would have done it in one surgery. But... This doctor was convinced it was nothing. He told me that for four years until 2015 when I had my annual ultrasound on the lump and it had grown significantly. And so they went in. Of course, it's still nothing. It's nothing to worry about. And they went in and they took out the left side of my thyroid. And two weeks later, pathology came back and said I had papillary thyroid carcinoma. So I had to go in and have a second surgery where they removed the right side and the isthmus. And then they wanted me to go to UC San Francisco and do uh, radiation treatment, which is a, you know, it's just a pill that comes in a little metal container that you eat. You have to be quarantined away from your family or other people. And um, I told them, absolutely not. I'm not going to do it. If it's, not safe for somebody to touch this pill that I'm not putting it in my body. And I didn't. And they tried for a good year, almost year and a half, two years before I finally changed insurance. 
and got away from UC San Francisco. And by that time, by the time I started surgery for my thyroid, I was ingesting a gram a day again. And um, feeling feeling okay. I felt okay. It didn't really affect me. I didn't feel bad. But the tumor itself, when the doctor went in there to remove it, had shrunk significantly from the ultrasound. And I know that that was from mm-hmm. the cannabis. And he wanted to know what I'd been doing. And I told him what I'd be doing. And he told me that that probably had no effect. That's <laughs> what he's trained to do. You know, they're making money off medicine. And uh, I, I don't go to the doctor for everything anymore. I don't do that. I haven't seen a doctor since COVID started. Chula, I'm wondering oh. if, if, as a result of the surgery, if you had delayed the surgery for a while, whether you could have saved your thyroid. What do you think? Uh, you know, um, I don't know. When they went back into the right side to remove it, they found another suspicious area that didn't show up on the ultrasound. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think I might have lost my thyroid anyway. But that's such a major, major loss to lose your thyroid. And, of course, they don't tell you that before they rip it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it just started a whole new set of problems. And it took them almost four years to get my uh, levothyroxine, which is a synthetic uh, thyroid hormone. And it took them almost four years to get those levels to an acceptable range. And in that time, of course, I didn't do any of it. I didn't take any of their medicine, thought I could do everything with cannabis. And that's just not possible. If there's anybody listening that has thyroid cancer and they want you to take levothyroxine, you have to. If you don't, it, it you, your organs just shut down. And it's just uh, TSH is a requirement for your body and cannabis can't replace that. Uh. And I, I tried to do that. So what happened to you physically over that four-year period? Oh, I, oh, I've been cold ever since they took it out. <laughs> uh, my temperature doesn't regulate. I gained 40 pounds. My metabolism is zero. Um, they put me on a T3, which is, I forget the name of it, but it's a different drug that goes with the levothyroxine. Um, they thought that that would help. That made things worse. Um, it was just a matter of trial and error. And the thing that finally did it was I just had to take that one, two, five micrograms of levothyroxine or Synthroid, um, every day. And once I started doing that, I started feeling like I was coming alive again. And of course, now I'm able to diet and lose weight effectively. I'm able to watch my diet. Um, it's just, um, I know that I don't have any metabolism, so I force myself to get up and walk down that hill by my house and walk back up. And because I truly believe if you don't use it, you lose it. So I want to be active and keep moving. I just turned 64 years old and I, I want to have another 20, 30 years to exercise and, and make my body better. When you, so like you, go you ahead. continue to, to, to ingest oil on a daily basis in pretty significant quanti- quantities? I do. 
I do a double aught capsule of oil every single day of my life. Do you? Which is 0.775 grams. Okay. Do you have a fear of having yet being diagnosed with yet another cancer? No, I don't. Good girl. Okay. Positive thinking. I think think that um, the the interferon, I don't know that much about ribavirin, but I know that interferon is a deadly, deadly drug. And I believe that that caused whatever to happen in my body to make these other two cancers, um, both microbursts, um, nothing real, real significant. I didn't lose my throat or anything, but I think the doctors just want to throw that treatment out there because number one, they're making money off of it. They're making bank. And if they could have got me to take that pill and then quarantined me and, and all of that stuff, that's, that's all money making for them. And, um, I just don't, I don't, I think that I've got this kicked in the butt and I believe that the cannabis oil that I do now every single day is what's keeping me alive and making me feel younger. I feel younger now than I did 25 years ago. Good on you. Yeah, that's interesting. Interesting. uh, It's an interesting side effect. It's youth juice. I'm telling you, it is. It's incredible. And Corey knows my best friend, Janet. She's another triple survivor. And she she ingests oil every day and she's going to be 70 and she feels better than she's felt in 40 years. And she survived cancer three times. So there's something that they don't want us to know. There's a reason the government has that patent. Well, over the 300 interviews we've done, we've never had anyone say, you know what, this cannabis, I don't know whether I can take it or not, because it's just, uh, it doesn't do anything for me. Um, oh, no, no. It's, I don't think you'll ever get anybody to say that. Well, we get, uh, there are people who say that because they may have taken a particular strain that was ineffective for their ailment, right. and they discount cannabis right away saying it doesn't work right it doesn't work right. yeah 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 i have a husband with some critical health problems one of the, the biggest being high blood pressure and i've proven to him by sitting down and smoking a joint with him that his blood pressure comes down immediately as soon as he uses it but he won't do it because it's just not right and i i can't change that mindset 15 years of marriage and i i can't change his mindset he believes it's working for me and that I'm in great shape because of it, but he won't do it for himself. Well, Interesting. Eh? You, you, yeah. we, we should remind uh, listeners of the quote of Josh, who we interviewed uh, in the first week we did this, Corey. Josh in Germany? Joss. Oh, yes. Joss. Joss. He said, do you want to get high or do you want to, di- or do you want to die? Right. You, you have a choice. Exactly. Exactly. That, yeah. That's a great way to think about it and to say it, because um, I'd rather be stoned than dead. Add a girl, Tula. I like that thing. <laughs> <laughs> Julie, you got to give your husband a slap on the side of the head and say, come on, wake up. Well, you know, he just he just got done having his carotid arteries cleaned out. And uh, he, he still is convinced that cannabis can't help anything that he's got going on and like his cardiologist told me you can 
drag a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Yeah, that's right. And uh, my doctors now, my doctors know that I ingest uh, FICO, we call it here in California. Mm-hmm. Um, they know <clears throat> that I do it. I've reduced all of my um, my raspy, cra- crappy voices from that thyroid removal. I apologize. Oh, um, you don't have to apologize for that. <clears throat> I um, got totally lost where I was going. I'm sorry. Well, it's one of the things that I want to say to you is that I really, really admire what you've done to improve yourself over the years. I mean, right from the young age of 12, right up until uh, 2015, you've dealt with issues that most people uh, won't have to deal with. Right. And, And, you know, that's just the medical issues. You know, I've had to deal with real life in the meantime, you know, I've marriages and children and a parent that committed suicide when I was young and and all the other things. And cannabis has just been my go-to. Oh, I need to calm down and relax. Yeah. And that's and that's what it does for me. Besides ingesting the FICO, I know is increasing my endocannabinoid system and I'm getting healthier every single day. That's fantastic. Yeah. Julo, it was a pleasure to uh, meet you and talk to you, and uh, I wish you all the best in the future. Thank you. Oh, thank you. You too, Ian. I appreciate you and Corey trying to spread the word about cannabis. I advocate as much as I can. Um, I'm not happy with the laws in California. I don't think it's good for the patient, but it's something and it's a start. And once we can get the feds on board, I think um, we're going to see some big, big changes in our pharmaceutical businesses. And and it's not going to be a money-making scam for pharmaceuticals anymore. So thank you for what you guys do. Thank you, Tula. Much appreciated. Thank you, Corey. You guys have a great day. You too. You Take too. care. All right. uh, bye-bye. And in conclusion, we'd like to thank our listeners for supporting us and sharing our podcasts with others who would benefit from hearing these testimonials about the healing power of cannabis. And because we're listener-supported, if you'd like to support us, there are a couple of ways you can do it. You can do it for $5 a month on our Patreon page or make a donation in any amount, a one-time donation. Just go to our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com. And we encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel and share that with others who you think may be interested. And uh, we'd like to thank Mark in Belgium, who posts our podcasts on YouTube. And he actually started uh, the YouTube channel. We didn't, Corey and I didn't even know about it. And I'd like to thank Ron, who donates his recording studio to us so we can record these podcasts. Thank you, Ron. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. And thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week with another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. Thanks for listening to Cannabis Health Radio. For more information and to search previous podcasts, visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com. Subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This podcast is made possible by donations from our listeners. If you found the information helpful, please consider making a donation in any amount through our website. You can also help us share our message by leaving a review on your podcast listening platform. We are very grateful for your support.
Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Tune into a major journey podcast today, where guests take listeners on journeys and immerse themselves in the roller coaster ride both in and out of the cannabis space that brought them to where they are today. Throughout our conversations, guests share valuable lessons that they've learned along the way that listeners can use to empower growth both in their personal and professional lives. Check out A Major Journey today on all major podcast platforms.